BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. we live in can be a very strange place most of the time fact being stranger than fiction how will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time this is increase the reality with shane jones What is up, inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep open money conversation. I'm the one they call Shane, and in today's discussion, we revisit the idea of onboard UFO encounter experiences. With all the traumatic experiences we've talked about on the show, I figured it was about time to acknowledge the more positive side of the phenomenon from a researcher with a vast amount of knowledge on the topic. But... Before we get into all of that, we, of course, have to fly through the front of house stuff first. Uh, don't forget to follow Inquiries of All Reality and Open Minds Media on Instagram and Facebook. And if anybody is interested in a full list of podcast production services, you guys can shoot me a message through Open Minds Media, uh, something I'm trying to do to make a little bit of extra money and continue on pushing to be able to do all of this type of stuff full time. And uh, for anybody that's looking for video content, don't forget to go and check out Open Minds Media on YouTube and TikTok. And uh, if you want to join the discussion, you can always become a member of the Open Minds Media Discord. Always awesome. It helps to uh, grow and expand the show and community. And if anybody has an encounter to report, you guys can report it to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a specific submission form for that that goes to that specific email. But I don't care how big, I don't care how small it is. I absolutely love to hear about your guys' experiences. And if you're relatively close to me, I might even be able to get out and possibly even investigate it myself. 
And uh, if anybody hasn't already checked out Bizarre Encounters, highly recommend that you do. That's my other awesome show that I do with my co-host Oren over there. Uh, a lot of the time we dive, deep dive into different stuff. So a little bit of a different format than this show, but definitely covering somewhat of the same topics. And uh, we also do an extension of that called uh, Bizarre Inquiries, which is our short form Patreon slash once a month YouTube show. So if anybody wants to submit any questions for that, you guys can get up with me through social media and submit your questions so that we can discuss them on the show. And if you guys want to support the show, you guys can do so through the Open Minds Media Patreon. Over there, there's multiple tiers, uh, semi-recently updated, a lot of awesome benefits. There's also a seven-day free trial for the $3 tier and the $5 tier. So definitely worth going and checking out. And uh, I appreciate you guys for uh, going and trying to support and help out my work. And uh, you guys can also support the show through the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, I will be dropping a lot of new awesome merch designs over there if you guys haven't already seen them on Instagram. If they're not up by the time that I'm talking about this now, then they should be up within the next couple of weeks. So just keep your eyes peeled over there because I definitely think that you guys will really, really dig those designs. And if you guys become a Patreon member, then you guys will get exclusive merch store discounts. So highly recommend doing both, of course. And... uh of course, have to give a big shout out to all of the people that sponsor the show and slash friends in the community. I know Squatch. Don't forget to go and check them out for all of your Squatchy gear needs. And you guys can also check out Crypto Theology for all of your wearable cryptid favorites. And you guys can also go and check out Snarly Yao for his uh, fantastic beard and body products that smell of smoky cedar with a hint of mint, which is absolutely fantastic. I use the beard balm and the beard oil every single day. Absolutely love the soap. I think you guys will really enjoy it too. And uh, if you guys are looking for events to attend, Dave slash Snarly Yao puts on a lot of awesome cryptid related events. So if you guys are looking for stuff to do in the next upcoming months, he's always throwing events. So you guys can go and follow him on Instagram to be able to keep up on all the fantastic stuff that he's doing. And uh, to all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. A lot of new updates have come to that recently, uh, expanding into an app, all that really cool stuff. So if you guys have any questions about that whatsoever, you guys want to pick up a device yourself, you guys can always go and hit up Barry over there on Dimension Devices. He is the guy that programmed and developed it, so he'll be able to answer any of your guys' technical questions. And if you guys decided that you want to pick one up for yourself, don't forget to use the affiliate link. Uh, that's down in the show description greatly goes towards helping the show. And I appreciate you guys for using that. And uh, with all of that, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome back to the show for the second time. UFO researcher and author, Preston Dennett. How's it going today? It's going pretty good. Yeah, doing well. Hope you are too. Absolutely. Uh, I've been looking forward to doing this show all day. I know you came out a long time ago, episode 31, if anybody wants to look it up. But uh, we had such a great conversation last time, and I'm always seeing you post on Facebook. So I figured it was about time to reconnect and get back together for a show, because I know you've probably had a lot of new work that you've been working on since last time we talked, which is almost going on two years ago now. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm keeping busy. You know, I, I love this field. It's endlessly interesting. And as you know, there's layers and layers and layers to it. Just when you think you've got things wrapped up, 
other stuff comes along and knocks you over and you're like, okay, <laughs> let's start over. Phenomenon is constantly changing. And with all the new weird stuff that's coming out where everything's kind of getting pushed to the forefront now, I feel like there's a lot of uh, misdirection too, even in the aspect of there's definitely the UFO related stuff. But now I feel like there's a lot of also like government related stuff. So it's like when you're following a phenomenon, you got to you gotta figure out which trail to follow, you know, because I think it's, it's definitely a mix of the two at this point where maybe back in the day it may have been strictly UFOs, but now just the whole fact that they are constantly pushing it almost makes me wonder if a lot of it again is like hidden technology that they're trying to cover up using the alias of the, of the UFO phenomenon. Yeah. Well, I think there's some truth to that. Some for sure. I mean, everything flying around is not ET. <laughs> uh, and there's also all kinds of disinformation and misinformation and a brutal cover up. Paranormal is all mixed up in this. It's complicated. I was going to say, that's the other thing. The lines start to get blurred even between everything now, where back in the day, it was like UFO guys, the cryptid guys, and the paranormal guys all kind of stayed in their own areas. But now the phenomenon seems to be converging a little bit, where it seems like everybody's kind of starting to group coordinate and work a little bit more together now, which is honestly a good thing, because it's bringing the community all together and making it a bigger community between everybody, because everybody's fascinated in all three of them. And when you start combining stuff and seeing that there's a lot of different things that connect between all of them, I feel like it kind of helps to get to a further point with the research now yeah 100 percent agree it's good news it's about time because you know you, these are connected and i'm not saying they're the same thing by any means but i think if you exclude the paranormal out of the whole ufo subject you're missing a big piece of it and vice versa so yeah i think it's great well, I guess uh, a good spot to start before we get into the meat and the potatoes of the conversation, because I already know this is going to lead off to a, an absolutely fascinating conversation. Uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with your work, what you do, uh, why don't you let them know a little, bit about, a little bit about your background, a little bit about your work, and a little bit about how you got started doing it, too, in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I came into this field as a skeptic. I'm pretty lucky because I was pretty young when I started doing this. This is way back in... 1986, I was 21 years old, a diehard skeptic. I mean, I did not believe in life after death or ghosts or paranormal or UFOs or anything like that. I was very scientifically minded. I loved science. Thought it was explained everything. <laughs> I was pretty naive in that way, but that all changed. November 17, 1986, very famous sighting of a UFO over Alaska. You may have heard of it, Captain Kenju Turochi and his uh, JAL Airlines, they had a UFO track them for about an hour. Uh, so yeah, it was a major case that came out on the evening news. And I remember just seeing this pilot, Captain Turochi, and thinking, poor guy, <laughs> you know, he thinks he's seen a UFO, he couldn't have, they don't exist. He must have hallucinated it. He's seeing a reflection off the ice cap. I mean, I made up ridiculous debunking explanations. But it was enough to remind me that my older brother, Mark, had claimed to see a UFO about five years earlier. And stupid me opened my mouth and asked him about it. And he knocked me over with this amazing sighting of a metallic disc. Colored lights around the circumference of this craft treetop level, a couple hundred feet away. He chased it in his car, and this was on Reseda Boulevard, right outside of L.A., <laughs> a pretty populated area. And 
for about 15 minutes, he followed this thing. Other cars were chasing it too. I'm like, man, Mark, are you kidding me? Because I knew he wasn't lying, right? He's my brother. And it was clear he wasn't misperceiving or hallucinating, which were the three go-tos to explain this away. And he's like, no, no, this is exactly what happened. If you don't believe me, ask my friends, Phil and Greg. They were with me. They saw it too. And I knew them, of course. They were his good friends. So I did. I called them up. And that's kind of snowballed from there. I found out I had a couple of people in the family who had seen UFOs. Future, my, my brother's girlfriends who became their wives at some point, had both seen UFOs and ETs, actually, face to face. So and I had a friend who had missing time, another who had a very close-up sighting. I was working at a business office doing data entry and bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. And two or three of them had some really dramatic encounters with missing time and one was seeing gray ETs. So that's how I got in this field. I started, I joined MUFON is what I did pretty early on, the Mutual UFO Network, mm-hmm. and found out they give you know, field investigator tests. So I took one, and I did really well, became a field investigator for them, started writing articles and interviewing people formally, bought every darn book I could find, every <laughs> magazine, journal. I mean, I went off the deep end. My family, you know, they thought I had lost my mind. They, they really did. Well, Mark didn't, my older brother, but two of my other older brothers thought I was crazy. My dad, I mean, people were not happy. At least you had one in your corner. That's that's hard for, even a lot of people don't even necessarily have that. So at least you had one. <laughs> yeah, I did. So I'm fortunate that way. And they all came around, you know. So, I mean, it became a big part of my life pretty quickly. My first interview was actually with a lieutenant colonel who worked next door to Project Blue Book. So I kind of dived right into the deep end. And for 10 years, I researched the subject intensely and putting out a few articles, magazines and journals and newspapers. But really 10 years before I put out my first book, UFO Healings, that was 1996. And since then I've been putting them out (laughs) as fast as I can. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is something that really caught my interest. And I mean, you know this, once you're in, it doesn't let go of you. It's, I mean, you're, once you're in, you're in. You get pulled to the next rabbit hole, right? the next fascinating thing, and then the next fascinating thing. And then you hear another story that you're like, wow, this doesn't necessarily fit a lot of the other stuff. So then you start following that. And the next thing you know, you find a couple more stories that have correlations with those. And then you go down another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. I fell down the Bigfoot rabbit hole shortly later. <laughs> and then, of course, ghosts and near-death experiences. Because I, I embraced the fact that this is connected to the paranormal pretty early on. And this was not super popular back then. <laughs> well, we were talking about this. The, the field was kind of separate between the nuts and bolts folks and the paranormal crowd. No, I knew early on that people who were being taken on board were having all kinds of psychic experiences. So I I worked hard to sort of build my knowledge base on the paranormal as well as UFOs. Just out of curiosity, I've had a few people on that have made reference to the fact that people seem to develop abilities after an abduction encounter. 
just out of your, just from like your perspective, do you think it's more so something that ends up developing because of the abduction or do you think it's something that is caused from the abduction, meaning that it's something that the extraterrestrials may have given the person and maybe not something that got unlocked naturally in them, maybe from the trauma, the experience. Yeah. Well, I call it first just as a sort of tangent, I call them onboard experiences (laughs) as opposed to abductions because some of the people I've interviewed do not call them that. But yeah, I think it's a two way street for sure. Because a lot of people who have contact have a long life history of psychic events. But for sure, hands down, no, I mean, absolutely conclusively, uh, major contact event absolutely wakes you up psychically. I mean, not only that, it can be a complete spiritual transformation. It can elevate you mentally as well. I've talked to people who literally as kids were like at the bottom of the class and went right up to the top and increased their IQ, you know, in a categoric IQ test. They went up many points. So yeah, after contact, people will usually experience uh, precognition or uh, mediumship, hands-on healing, remote viewing, uh, channeling, it goes across the board. In fact, recently in one of my books I put out not too long ago, not from here, volume four, I put out a chapter on just cases, this is so wild, of people who have levitated, physically levitated, following an encounter. And by this I don't mean, you know, the UFO lifts you up and pulls you through the wall and you know, floats you up inside of it. I'm talking about they put you back and afterwards Often it's the next day, but can you know be you know any time afterward. Really, they will experience spontaneous levitation. <laughs> so that, I mean, I, the first case I heard was from Jacques Vallée, uh, who interviewed a guy who was healed of an ankle, a gash on his ankle, an ankle wound, and also paralysis. But following his encounter, he floated. He levitated twice in his room, as verified by his wife. I thought, wait a second, didn't this happen to Whitley Strieber? <laughs> and yeah, it did. And then I thought, well, you know, Stephen Greer, the well-known contactee, reported two instances of levitation. So I started asking, because you know, I had a couple of cases myself. Now I make a point to ask contactees if they've had this experience. And I did my research, and I thought, found out Bud Hopkins had people who had this experience. And I interviewed this one guy. He and his sister were taken on board. This is they were put down and they went into the basement. This is hours after their experience. They floated around the basement for like two hours. As far as up and down, it happened. And you know, I put this out and one guy, he called me up from Europe, literally in tears. He's like, I'm so glad you, you talked about this because I can't talk about it. People think I'm crazy, but that same thing happened to me. And no one, I've never heard it before. So I'm like, hmm, this is a thing. You know, we were talking about Dolly Saffron last time. She had that experience last time I was on the show with you. Yep. She had that same experience. And I don't think she would have volunteered that if I hadn't specifically asked her. I mean, I can't say that for sure. But she absolutely had a number of levitation events. That's one of those weird ones. You really, I really haven't heard too much about it at all. 
Like, uh, I w- if, from your experience, have you noticed that it's something that they have the ability to do or rather that it's something that just kind of happens on its own and they just kind of are dealing with it in the process? I think it's both. I think some people have a better ability to do it at will than others, perhaps. But it seems to be largely an accidental byproduct for most people, I should say. But suddenly this happens. And it's not that as unusual as you might think. I mean, I was interviewing a lady not too long ago who was put back and she says, I had a poltergeist outbreak afterwards. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is another person. And I finally figured it out. I think what's going on there is your biophysical field, you know, for lack of a better term, becomes enhanced or activated in some way. Because I kept getting cases that speak to that. Uh, and she was having all these you know, clocks falling off the wall and doors closing. But one lady I interviewed, this is a perfect example. She lives in Mount Rainier, Washington. <laughs> uh, woke up one evening because there's this light coming in through her window. She lives in an apartment building. She could hear this low buzzing noise that was shaking the whole building. She's thinking, everyone's got to be seeing and hearing this. <laughs> uh, nobody did, turned out. She asked the next day. But as she's trying to figure out what's going on, suddenly there's these little silver-suited beings in her room, four feet tall. Freaks out, and she kind of blacks out and wakes up the next morning. She's sitting on top of the covers, and there's... She was underneath the covers at the time, so it was a clear-cut case of missing time with some physical residue showing that something had happened. It wasn't just what she believed happened. Uh, There was some evidence, and that kind of ramped up when she went to work that morning. This is, again, speaking about how it affects you physically. She was feeling a little unwell, but well enough to go to work. Sits down in front of her computer... (laughs) and knocks it offline. And she said, okay, well, she called the IT guy, says, can you help me get my computer back online? I'm gonna go make some copies. So she's making copies at the copier and knocks that offline. And she calls the IT guy and says, as soon as you're done with my computer, (laughs) can you fix the copier? (laughs) And then goes to the fax machine and knocks that out. So that's bam, bam, bam. And that's when she realized something's going on here. Totally agree, because there was another guy I interviewed, a great witness, Marine officer, and a welder. He, he was a, you know, what you, an employee advocate. He would make sure all his employees got raises. I mean, he's a good man, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's working at this factory doing welding for cars. And it's this big, giant machine. I forget that he had a name for it, but uh, it's a huge machine, and Every time he'd go on it, he'd knock it off, flying. And finally, because no one else was doing it, other people operated that machine, and he'd go on it, boom. It's a really expensive machine. So this was a problem, and his superiors <laughs> called him in and said, what's going on? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you keep knocking the machine off. How are you doing this? He's like, he played dumb. He kind of suspected, because he was blowing out light bulbs wherever he went. It was so bad that he actually contacted the UCLA parapsychology department. And that very famous lady, Velma Moss, came and did an investigation, took the light bulbs, and said, do you know they're not actually exploding? They're imploding? We don't know how this can happen. 
and yeah, they his employee employer wanted him to take a physical, which he submitted to, and they didn't find anything really. Though he did go to the dentist later, and they found something, an implant that wasn't supposed to be there. In his tooth? Uh, it was in his jaw. Oh, in his jaw. Yeah. Which you know, I've heard from other people. It can be in your sinuses. It can be in your jaw, your hand, your arm, your leg. I've got a bunch of cases of that. That's one of those weird things that you never end up finding it unless you're either one, it's like it's bothering you where you feel like a lump in your neck or two, it seems like just a lot of people end up finding them on accident from getting other x-rays, getting other things medically done. And then they're like, Hey, what's this, what's this little thing right here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In fact, in my latest book, humanoids and high strangeness was a really interesting case of that. Oh my God. I interviewed this guy who was seven years old when suddenly he could not sleep. He had insomnia and fear of intruders at age seven. (laughs) And it just got worse until he was an adult. It was the same thing. And his mom did everything to help. You know, his dad, they couldn't figure it out. Finally, his mom decides she's going to quit smoking. (laughs) And she's going to go to a hypnotist to do it. She's like, gosh, what was this guy's name? Richard. Richard Simon. Let me use his real name. His mom's name is Ines. Ines. And uh, she's like, Richard, you should come with me. Maybe this hypnotist can help you with your insomnia. He's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't trust these guys. They get into your head. She's like, no, 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 this is a legit lady. She's got her diplomas. You can look her up. She's absolutely credible. And finally, he relents. He's like, fine, I'll go. Let's see if we can get this done. So they go together to the hypnotist. He, for insomnia, she to quit smoking. Of course, that's not what happened. <laughs> she goes into the office first, right? He's sitting in the waiting room and starts hearing his mom weeping. <laughs> and for an hour, finally, she comes out all teary-eyed. And he's like, Mom, what's wrong? And she's like, you know, it's your turn. You go in. I'll tell you afterwards. And he goes in. He's like, what did you do to my mom? To the <laughs> that was her name. She's crying. And she's like, listen, you We'll talk about it afterwards, but we need to talk about your insomnia. So he's like, okay, fine. And she asks him, how's your home life? You know, any trauma? He's like, no, no, my parents love me. I've had a great life, no trauma, no reason for this. It's just every night I feel like someone's watching me. There's someone in the house. I just can't fall asleep. It's just insomnia. He couldn't explain it. She's like, okay, well, let's try hypnosis. Puts her, puts him in a trance. So it takes like 20 minutes, right? And uh, finally, he's super relaxed. And that's all it really is. It's just a state of relaxation. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, tell me why you have trouble sleeping. And he starts seeing these flashes of light. And he's squinting. And she's like, what are you seeing? He says, I'm seeing light. And she says, okay, well, what else do you see? And suddenly he sees what we would now call a gray. He had no idea about this, no way to expect this at all. But he sees this gray looking down at him, and then, boom, it says it was like a dam broke. And all these memories just flooded in. And he remembered at age seven, you know, waking up, the house was filled with light. His mom wasn't in bed, and he's walking through the house and the doors 
the front door opens and there's the Greys. And next thing he knows, he's on board this craft. He's being physically examined. There's a very tall Grey. There's some short little Greys. And they're rushing around doing their thing. And he's shivering and he's scared. And they keep saying, what's, you know, what, what's wrong, child? <laughs> he's like, I'm scared. I want to go home. And they said, we're almost done. Relax. You're fine. We won't hurt you. He said it, they weren't malevolent in any way. They were working on his stomach. He had the feeling that they were trying to heal him or something. Did he have some type of stomach condition? No, not that he's aware of until later in life. turned out there was something going on, and he wonders about that. But I'll get to that in a second, because he hears this lady screaming bloody murder. And I'm not going to say what she said, because it was a string of vile curses <laughs> at these ETs. <laughs> like, F you, you bleep, 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 you better not hurt my son. And she's like, oh, he's like, oh, my God, that's my mom. And he felt a lot better. He's like, okay, well, at least she's here. So this is what he remembers. It was about 20 minutes or so. And I said, okay, we're done. And that's all he basically remembered. And as, you know, he's under hypnosis now. And she's leading, well, not leading him, but questioning him about all this. Like, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? <laughs> and then he, at the very end of this session, he remembers the greys coming in and getting him. And that pulled him out of hypnosis because it was just so frightening for him. And he leapt off the couch and he confronts the hypnotist and says, you, B, you, know, you, uh, you planted this in me. You did this to me. How could you? Shame on you. And, she's, and she had to calm down and says, listen, stop, <laughs> relax. This is all being recorded. I didn't say a single word. You said everything. I'll give you the tape. I didn't put anything in your head. And this is real, what you recalled, because this is exactly what your mother recalled. And so that was the session. He gets out of the office and compares notes with his mom. And she's like, oh, my God, yeah, I was there. <laughs> you remember exactly what I remember. I'm assuming she knew nothing about it also before going into the, uh, the hypnosis. Yeah. She knew nothing, but she did say, you know, honey, when I was seven years old, I saw a weird humanoid in the barn. I think she was from Kansas or Louisiana, so, so, somewhere around there on a farm. And it was interesting because it was the same age. But here's where it just gets super more interesting. You know, he, he gets married you know, has kids. His daughter is seven years old and he's watching TV, Ancient Aliens or something, right? And they're featuring Greys on the TV. And his daughter says, Daddy, Daddy, I've got something to tell you. And he's like, later, I'm watching TV. He's like, no, 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 Daddy, Daddy, it's important. And she came running. She was playing with her Barbies. And finally he turns to her and says, what? What's so important? She points to the TV. She says, that... That monster, that's the monster that's coming into my room at night and sticking things in my nose. She was having nosebleeds. And at the same age, so that's three generations, right? Mm -hmm. So they take her to the doctor for, they were going to take her for the nosebleeds, but ended up going to the dentist first because you know, they already had an appointment. Take her to the dentist and the dentist is like, well, you know, you... You were supposed to tell me if she has any implants 
uh, that you did not put that in the application. He's like, what are you talking about? She's never been to the doctor. She has no implants. And the dentist is like, well, what the heck is this then? And it showed a little rod in her sinus, which was embedded in the tissues. Not something you could just, you know, stick up there. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't know what that is. What is that? And the dentist is like, I'm asking you. He says, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, An ET implant? And he just kind of threw that out there. And the dentist gave him this look like, you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. He says, well, can't we take it out? And he says, you know, I, don't, I, I can't advise you on that. You should see a doctor. So he did and brought the x-ray. And the doctor said, no, I'm not touching that. Why would I want to touch that? And he's like, well, it doesn't belong there, does it? He says, I don't know what it is. Just leave it alone. And he went, he's like, no, I'm not leaving this alone. Went to another doctor, same could not get any cooperation. Finally went to a third doctor, said, I need to know what this is. And the doctor gave him this look, said, come into my office. And he shut the door and he opened his, the desk drawer and said, if you tell anybody this, I will deny it. I could lose my license. This is a big deal. And handed him over a document which according to Richard, the guy I interviewed, looked absolutely official from the government saying that as a medical professional, if you see any foreign bodies, any implants in a person's body, you are not to remove them or touch them in any way. And if you do, you could be fined and lose your license and more. And so it looked absolutely official. And I've wondered about this because other people I've talked to have gone to the doctors and not gotten much cooperation. I was going to say even Daryl Sims... He had to find a specific doctor that would help to take stuff out. And I know that he's been, he won't, he won't re- release any of the doctor's names. Like I've always been kind of curious about that too. Yeah. It's weird. Cause one guy I talked to from Minnesota or Michigan, uh, he went to the doctor and got it, the x-ray. So I want a copy of it. I want a copy of it. And his doctor wouldn't do it. And finally he's like, this is my medical records. I am allowed to have a copy of it. And so finally the doctor said, okay, gave him the x-ray. And it had been doctored. The implant was not there. And he had seen it. So I don't even know how they did that. But We will be right back after this brief commercial break. So stay tuned. And we are back. So let's hop right in. So here's going back to this story with this implant. Because they wanted to have it removed. And he ended up contacting Roger Lear. Who, as you know, is the implant removal guy for Mm -hmm. years at least. But he had just passed away. Uh, he contacted Whitley Strieber, and he's like, listen, my mom had this. My daughter's having this. And Whitley Strieber said, well, yeah, it is generational. But here's where it gets even stranger, Shane. Uh, his daughter grows up, right? And she had, gets married and has kids. The kid, you know, this is just a couple of years ago, turns seven. says, mommy. <laughs> and she's like, what? She says, I've got something to tell you. There's this monkey man. I mean, he's staring at me. He's this bald monkey man. He's staring at me through my window, and sometimes he comes into my room. And she's like, honey, is this a dream? She's like, no, no, it's, it's not a dream, mommy. There's this weird man coming into my room. So that's four generations, all at age seven, who are having this. 
When she says monkey man, was she referring to a gray or may she, is there a possibility she may have been referring to something else entirely? She said he was bald. So I'm guessing bald, dark eyes. It's hard. I mean, she's seven years old and they didn't want to really get into it with her. Uh, but they had been having UFO sightings in their home in Georgia. Uh, he is in, gosh, Ohio. Uh, so they're widely separated. But yeah, I think it probably is Gray's. I don't know. But I talked to Richard. I'm like, I don't suppose you've had anything paranormal. <laughs> and he's like, oh, gosh, I don't really like to talk about that. I'm like, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. But I think it is connected. He's like, well, okay. I have these dreams that come true. And it's once or twice a month or visions or premonitions, all of it. And he said it got so strong that he ended up writing them down and putting them in envelopes so he could hand them to people, you know, when they tell him about something. It's like, oh, here's, here's my prediction of that. And he would save his children's lives. Once he told his daughter, he says, I had a vision of you working on a car, changing a transmission, and the car fell on you and crushed you. Do not do any transmissions today or tomorrow or the next day. She's like, well, Dad, I was going to do one tomorrow. And he's like, well, don't, you know, be very careful. Don't do it. She's like, I have to. <laughs> uh, so the next day, she's under the car fixing the transmission and re remembers. And she's like, gets out from under there and orders everyone to get out. And at that point, the jack fell and, you know, the car fell to the ground. <laughs> she called up her dad crying. Uh, this is a full-grown adult. And his son, he had a vision of his son driving along with a water bottle in, in between his legs. And it fell off and slipped under the brake pedal. And he had an accident. This was the vision. And he told his son, do you drive with a water bottle between your legs? And his son's like, yeah, actually I do. He's like, don't do that. Do not do that. It's dangerous. And his son didn't listen. And the water bottle slipped out, went right under the brake. He rear-ended somebody. It wasn't a, you know, a tragic accident. Luckily. <laughs> yeah. But he told his dad, he's like, you were right. I'm so sorry. I should have listened to you. I'll listen now. He says he doesn't like to talk about it. It freaks him out when he sees something that happens the next day. There's that thing. I mean, this is related. It's, it wakes up your psychic abilities. See, I've always been kind of curious if it might also be something to do with like the implant itself that, I mean, a lot of people that have different theories on it. A lot of people kind of come back to the idea of it being some type of potential tracking device. Um, but I feel like with all of their technology, they might not necessarily need to implant something into you in order to track you. I've been kind of curious if it might be something that potentially unlocks parts of DNA. Um, maybe they follow specific families because they have some type of ability that they're trying to get to work, you know, so they just try to keep it alive through different generations. But yeah, for at least for me, I feel like a lot of it wraps back to the fact that I don't think these implants are necessarily trackers anymore, like I originally did, but rather something that reacts with the body and possibly unlocks different abilities. Yeah, I think that there's absolutely some truth to that, because that's what I thought. I think that's our go to because that's what we do to animals. We track them with implants. 
but very early on in my research, this lady was taken on board and they were implanting her. And they're like, what are you doing? She's like, what are you doing? What's that? And they're like, it's an implant. She says, what is it for? They said, this is to measure the levels of pollution in your body. And then I got another case where they said, this is to boost your immune system. And another was to monitor health. And so I started to like, okay, because there are a few cases that say, oh, you know, this helps us track you. But one lady asked that flat out. And they said, oh, no, no, we can find you wherever we want. Each person gives off their own sort of signature. And one lady, she did have her implant removed by Dr. Roger Lear. I interviewed her in depth about her experiences. And two weeks later, the ETs came back and re-implanted it. So I honestly think it's about health. Ask Dolly Saffron about that. Uh, she's, of course, a fully conscious contactee in the subject of my book, Symmetry. And they told her that there are different uses. One helps her to fly the craft. It's in her hand, sort of like a key type thing. Another uh, is to just monitor her health. There's different uses. I think that some, in, to some degree, some are used for communication. Uh, but yeah, I think, well, here's a case which I think really speaks to it. This one lady I interviewed, a housewife from Nebraska. Uh, she was, you know, had a baby and started having what they thought might be a blood sugar problem of some kind, clearly, but it wasn't hypoglycemia, but it was something along those lines because she had gained a lot of weight in her pregnancy. And after having the baby, she started losing weight rapidly and having uh, fainting spells. And her blood sugar would just drop for no reason. And she'd have to carry around juice and a peanut butter sandwich because it ended, she was getting worse and worse. Um, this was happening three, four, five times a day. And doctors tried everything, you know, co vitamin cocktails and, take, you know, wasn't diabetes. They didn't know what the heck was going on with her. And she was getting dangerously ill when she had this weird experience. <laughs> well, let me backtrack a little bit. She was vacuuming the floor one day and she sneezed. And out came this little tiny metallic <laughs> cylinder type thing. She's like, what the heck? She picked it up and looked at it. She's like, President, I don't know why I did this, but I quickly got rid of it. I had the urge to just throw it away. And as soon as she did that, she's like, what am I doing? And went looking for it and couldn't find it. I hear this all the time. You know, People put it in a little envelope, put it on their bedstand, it's gone the next day. Or take it out and it dissolves right in front of you. And I've heard of all different variations of this. But at any rate, that's what happened. And so she is going through all these fainting spells. And one day, you know, wakes up and she's feeling that vertigo and, you know, an oncoming fainting spell. She's walking to the kitchen to get her juice and doesn't make it. She says something happened and she found herself on this table in this giant auditorium-like room. She was in a cubicle. <laughs> So it's the strangest thing because she looked down on the floor and there's industrial carpet. And this is a cubicle like you'd seen in an office. She looks to the opposite cubicle and there's a guy laying on a table and he's dazed just like she is. She's like a little bit out of it. He's wearing this plaid, red plaid shirt. 
and they're looking at each other and she's like, you know, my name's, I'll, I'll use a pseudonym, Jill. And he's like, oh, my name's Cooper. And that's not a pseudonym. <laughs> that was his name, she says. Uh, and they started talking like, where are we? I don't know what's going on. He says, I don't know how I got here. She's like, me either. And they're trying to orient themselves. When she peers down the corridor there, and she can see hundreds of cubicles. There's a, this is a big place. Rounded ceiling, indirect lighting, like we always hear, no actual light bulbs. So I don't know. But at any rate, she looks down the corridor, and there is this, she said he was nine feet tall, this man, striding down the corridor purposefully. And uh, he was wearing this kind of shiny black jumpsuit with what looked like a cape. I'm like, well, what did he look like? This is why she called me up, actually, because she wanted to know if anybody had described a being like this. And she said he was nine feet tall. He had orange, spiky hair that looked like straw. It wasn't hair as we know it. It was thick, straw-like bristles. Uh, orange in color. And he had a giant, you know, extended chin huge eyes which kind of wrapped up a little bit an enormous forehead black hair uh, but otherwise looked human a craggy kind of face uh, whitish skin but you know not completely off white like the grays uh, and he comes into her cubicle and says okay joe now it's your turn <laughs> and that absolutely set her off as you can imagine <laughs> And she starts screaming, and he takes what she thought was his cape and wraps it around her body and pulls out these three bell-like silver instruments, shiny silver instruments, which were kind of round, bell-shaped, rounded, and sticks them under this covering that she's got wrapped around her, around her torso, like over her pancreas and, and such. And it starts pulsing his energy at her. Boom, 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 boom. And she says, it's not painful, but she can feel it. And at this point, she is freaking out. She's saying the Lord's Prayer. You know, she's not particularly religious. But she's got to handle this someone. <laughs> uh, and blacks out. And the next thing she knows, she's waking up. She's back in her living room. She rushes into the bedroom to wake up her husband. He won't wake up. She, she's got like three kids. One's a baby, but the other two are, you know, older. And ne none of them will wake up. She spends the next 20 minutes to half an hour trying to wake up her family. Finally wakes up her husband. He's absolutely not out of it. And she's like, this just happened to me. All the You're not going to believe it. And he was very supportive. She's had experiences before this some really interesting ones actually but he was very supportive to his credit and she said she was sore for about two weeks on her torso where those instruments were but afterwards she she didn't notice this until the end of the next day she hadn't fainted once uh, she immediately started gaining weight uh, and her weight stabilized the soreness went away and she was no longer fainting at all she had been healed uh, she wonders if that implant that she had, you know, sneezed out was keeping her blood sugar or helping her health in some way. 
I think it probably was because it was right after it went out that she started having these fainting spells and losing weight. But yeah, it's a crazy case where I think she was healed by these ETs. She's like, why me? Why me? And I asked her all these questions, you know, because a lot of people who are healed are doing really good work for humanity in some way. I noticed that pattern. They're nurses, they're doctors, they're teachers, animal rights activists, human rights activists, inventors, you know, something along those lines. She's like, I'm just a housewife. <laughs> you know, my husband's a mechanic. You know, I'm like, do you have any military in your family? She's like, no, no. So I don't know. Hard to say why they chose her. I think it's actually what you said, Shane, because uh, she does report psychic abilities. They track families who have really pronounced genetics that have these abilities. And I think they're protecting that. They're trying to protect the best genetics of humanity, which is why we see so many people being pulled on board. It's all about, I think one of, this is based on the first 10 cases. I think it's beyond speculation at this point. But that is really one of their primary goals is to just stabilize our genetic structure and heal. Healing is definitely one of their things they do. See, it's one of those things too that there's two sides of the experience where some people will describe these like beneficial experiences and other people end up having like traumatic experiences without really much of an explanation. But kind of makes me wonder if if you're looking at it from the more positive side, if a lot of these beings might just be trying to almost help like the human race catch up with like the rest of the universe. And they know that in order to do that, they kind of have to help us continue to advance where, you know, to communicate with other beings in, in the galaxy, you know, you might have to use telepathic abilities. You might have to use, uh, you know, be able to predict things. I mean, that might even be part of like flying a ship in the first place is that it moves so fast that you actually have to learn how to predict time before it actually happens so that you're not necessarily hand-eye coordination driving the ship, but rather seeing what's happening in the future so that you actually are capable of flying the thing in the first place. So, I mean, like I said, it might just be a buildup to make it so that people can elevate to the point where the rest of the universe is so that we can actually become one with the rest of the universe instead of us just kind of seeming to be the more primitive ancestors that are kind of pushed off to the corner, what it seems like most of the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you hit it exactly on the head. It's all about psychic ability, and that's another one of their main agendas. And that's why so many contactees experience psychic ability. And that is how they fly the craft. That is how they operate the vast majority of their technology. And when ETs are coming down and floating around and moving through walls and doing a lot of the things they do, including healing, um, some of this is absolutely psychic ability. It's not necessarily you know, pure, just nuts and bolts technology. It's integrated with them. But I think that that's absolutely <laughs> true. Can you imagine how different society would be if we were all telepathic things would be a lot more open people wouldn't be able to lie to each other because somebody would be able to read right through them at that point <laughs> yeah. we, we could elect politicians and world leaders who might have our best interests in mind for once <laughs> yeah you'd actually know what their interest is <laughs> and what they're actually trying to do <laughs> right yeah i'm not i'm not happy at all with how this whole subject has been handled from the beginning this cover-up is such a ridiculous path to go down. Truth and transparency, it's so much easier. Why would you not do it that way? Unless you don't have humanity's best interests in mind. See, the one... That people 
you know, have what they perceive to be a negative experience. Because it's darn scary when this happens to you. And I think that's partly our own fault and partly the government's, because we're steeped in fear. All, you know, this is a driving force in people's lives, fear. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We fear death. We fear strangers. We fear anything unknown. And when people start having these experiences, in the beginning, it's terrifying. And there's some people who just, you know, they don't get past the fear. I can't blame them for that. You know, it's not their fault that we've been trained to fear from birth and for, well, literally decades, if not centuries. But yeah, this the contact experience can be perceived as negative when you're pulled on board and you're being physically examined and you're thrashing around and like, who is this? Oh my God, what's going on? And that's all you really remember because they, you will have missing time if you are having a very strong fear panic reaction because they do not want that. And they will tell you every single time, almost without exception, don't be afraid. Have no fear. No harm will come to you. We're not here to hurt you. You're fine. <laughs> they tried it from every angle. And this is a real problem for ET because we instantly react that way. And that's when people come back from experience like, this was horrible. They're demonic. I hate them. I wish it would stop. I didn't ask for this. I'm having nightmares. How could you say this is good for me? Uh, and then, you know, they might even completely turn off and still have missing time and still have these experiences, but never get past the fear. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. But, you know, I've interviewed these people, and they're like, well, yeah, I did have an unexplained healing. Yeah, I am having out-of-body experiences. I'm like, well, do you think that's related to your encounters? <laughs> well, yeah, but I still don't like it. I'm like, okay, you know, I understand that. I get that. But if you don't have that fear reaction or you get over it at some point, that's when they will take you, and they do even anyway, but you just don't remember. But they'll take you to the engine room, right? <laughs> Show you how the craft works and say, here's how we do it. Here's how we power our craft. Here's how we fly them. They'll take you up to what, what I would call the observation deck, usually on the top of the ship, but right, maybe it's right at the side, and they'll just turn the walls transparent. I hear this over and over again. Turn the whole craft transparent. <laughs> They've done that for people. And you can see the moon. You can see this, you know, usually it's a star field. First, that's what I hear most. Second will be seeing earth down from you know, way up above. You can look down and see the earth. Uh, third, I would say it would be uh, Jupiter or Saturn, actually. Mm. That keeps coming up. But that sort of thing. Even other planets, they will show you that. That's more rare, but it does happen. And we'll take you to the uh, control room. You know, the, the, here's the pilot seat. Would you like to try it? <laughs> Got a lot of cases of this. I was so glad when Grant Cameron, you know, he, he's a Canadian researcher. He just put out a book last year, I think, year before, called Sky Pilots. 
where people are taken on board and taught how to fly the craft. Just, just like, you know, Dolly Saffron described. That's what I was about to mention. I remember her talking about that for a, for a good portion of the show too. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying, you know, no, they're not here to take over. <laughs> Look at what's happening to people who are taken on board. Yes. I can be scary and I'm very sorry. And I sympathize and I would, and often I get calls from people who just want someone to talk to, want some understanding, have questions, you know, and are traumatized. And I absolutely understand that. But I think if you look carefully at what goes on when someone's taken on board, it's not malicious, it's not nefarious, it's not evil. They're not trying to hurt people. Uh, the waters get a little muddied because there are my labs negative abductions. There are absolute liars in this field, not only researchers, but quote, and I'll put that in big, huge air quotes, contactees, who I don't think are telling the truth or are just plain what we would call my lab, victims of government mind control. So it's, um, you know, it's a mess out there in, in, a, in a word. Yeah, it's just really hard to reach a consensus among researchers because there's just so much crap out there. Man, I've been digging into it a lot lately too. And it's like, you have one side where that's like definitely the extraterrestrial side. Then you have the other side that's questionable, questionable on whether or not it's the government side. And it seems like they have a lot more ability than what they lead off on where I've heard of people that seem like they almost have screen memories of aliens. And then when they actually start doing aggressions, they'll start seeing people in like military uniforms and stuff too. So it seems like it's, it's double-sided on both sides. And the question is like, what's the intention depending on the side. And maybe that's what some of the negative experiences are is not necessarily extraterrestrials at all, but rather the government trying to do different types of experiments on people, continue all of the kind of weird underground stuff that they've been doing since world war two. And uh, they just try to hide it under the facade of it being an alien encounter when it's just them continuing on their experiments, but in turn, they're just kind of hiding under the cover of extraterrestrials so that nothing gets questioned as far as what they're doing. And it seems like a lot of it picked up after they were doing a lot of like the mind control LSD uh, research. And one idea that I've thrown a few times is the idea that uh, maybe they use some of those substances. Maybe there's some that aren't even necessarily known that they've created new chemical compounds where they can completely just kind of basically just wear like a plastic mask and people will full on feel like they're having an alien encounter. And, uh, there's, there's been a few cases I've dug into that it seems to be a constant thing. Uh, as of recent, when I start researching into stuff, this commonality between a lot of different, um, contactees describing seeing like a, what looks like a mask line. And one thing that I've been trying to kind of differentiate in my head is the idea of, is it possible that some of these encounters may actually be, like a like an like an abduction or is the other side of it the fact that um you know it, it could be possibly be like a breathing apparatus and when i say abduction i'm more so talking about like government abduction but if it is something extraterrestrial could what that mask line be actually be so, again some type of like breathing apparatus some type of helmet um maybe even something that's trying to cover up their actual face so that maybe they can show a face that's a little more comfortable for the person that they're in contact with. But there's just so many different angles to dive into. It's like, you don't necessarily know which path to follow. And I definitely have gotten to the point, right? I think it's a, it's a pretty good mix of all of it all in one place. Yeah. There's a lot going on for sure. I'm worried about the whole my lab and government interference because let's face it, we they probably do have you know, psychotronics or mind control technology that we know nothing about. 
which could implant messages in your head and do all kinds of nefarious things with drugs and hypnotism and technology and just hmm. Wasn't it back in the 40s they patented something called like the voice of God? I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember seeing a patent for it that could basically like project like a thought into your head. So, I mean, like there's going to be significantly more advanced than what they lead the general public to believe. And even like Neuralink now seems to be on the same line as what these uh, transplants could potentially be. And with that, I mean, they say that the government technology is at least 30 years more advanced than what the general public knows about. So if, you know, the Neuralink is just now coming out to the general public, it makes you wonder how much farther advanced that whole technology could be behind the scenes and making it into public use rather than military use. Can you imagine? What if they're implanting people already and using them to control them? Oh, it's, you know, I personally don't want an implant in my brain. (laughs) That's just me. <laughs> that one in the nose, that's the one I was kind of questioning. Because it's like, I feel like if extraterrestrials did it, there wouldn't have been a chance of her accidentally sneezing it out. Like that one, I'm kind of curious if it may have been government interge- intervention. And when she had the later on experience, maybe it was somebody or some being that was trying to correct what they had done to her. Or on the other side, I mean, even describing the cubicles with the industrial carpet, um, you know, I'm sure that there are probably factions of extraterrestrials that are working with the government. It makes it seem like it was possibly someplace on earth that, you know, could be an extraterrestrial thing completely, or again, could have some, a government tie in where they were trying to correct what they had done. That's why I asked her about, you know, do you have military in your family? But I do know ETs can dress up a room to make you feel a little bit more comfortable. Cause I talked to one lady, she took her son to the dentist and they found an implant under her tooth, under his tooth, rather. He's 14 years old. And it was this big marble. She sent me the x-rays. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, well, this, you know, this, I've heard of these things. This could be an ET implant. Because she had searched everywhere to, for an explanation. And all that kept coming up was alien implant. And that's how she found me. And I sent the x-ray to a couple of doctors, one a general practitioner, the other in the emergency room physician. And they both said the same thing. You know, this is a foreign body. It's metallic. Did he shoot himself in the mouth with a BB gun? Which he denies. Uh, besides, it's bigger than a BB. And there's no entry wound. The tooth is asymptomatic. It's fine. It's right under the back molar. There's just no way. That's what the dentist said. Did you shoot yourself in the mouth? It's like, no, I didn't. And uh, so it's a great case of an implant. And I asked her, do you have any history of, uh, you know, UFOs. She's like, no, no, I don't. Not that I can recall. He doesn't either. And I'm like, well, can I talk to him? She's like, well, no, he's 14. He's really shy. He doesn't want to talk. And we kept in contact. And I kept, finally asked her, I had her on the phone. I'm like, are you sure he hasn't seen a UFO? She's like, he hasn't. I asked him. I'm like, well, ask him again. And over the phone, I could hear her. It's like, honey, <laughs> he wants to know if you've seen a UFO. He's like, well, mom, yeah, I did, but I didn't want to scare you. And that was right before this implant appeared. He's super psychic, this kid, by the way. But it's a great case of an actual implant. Uh, And again, speaks towards this. And that lady who I told you about who was healed of this hypoglycemia incident, talking about how ETs can put on any appearance, uh, she has a kid would have these visitations from 
they they come into her room dressed up as three foot tall teddy bears, you know, <laughs> stuffed animals. And finally, she saw through it, and they were the Greys. And I've got case after case like this where they're dressed up as clowns, or Barbie dolls, or superheroes, or cowboys, or I mean, you name it. I'm glad that you brought that up. Because one thing that I've been really curious about is the whole connection possibly with like sleep paralysis and possibly having some of these experiences. Because, I mean, you talk about dressing up a room, dressing themselves up completely. A lot of the time when people are having those experiences, they talk about being basically paralyzed, laying on their bed, and they feel like things are watching them all around them. And they usually describe like shadow people. And yeah, I've been curious if that's actually like a screen memory for possibly having one of these experiences and they try to make you feel comfortable by thinking that you're in your own bed when you're actually possibly like, you know, on, on the table in the U in, in the UFO. And then, uh, rather than covering themselves up with anything, they just try to pretend like they're a shadow on the wall and they cover up with these like shadow people screen memories. And I, I mean, I feel like there's, there's a lot to that because a lot of the time too, when people have sleep paralysis, it seems like they also have some type of connection with, uh, like astro travel, for example, because I was somebody that experienced a lot of sleep paralysis as a kid and I would do astro traveling. And usually it would be like when I'd come back would be when I would experience the sleep paralysis. And it almost seemed like, uh, like things were like watching me trying to figure out like what I would do. Like it was almost like some type of a test and I can never quite place it in my mind. And uh, I've been talking to a lot of people lately that think that a lot more people have abduction experience, or I'm trying to avoid using the word abduction, but experiences um, than they realize. And uh, Les Velez was the one I was talking about specifically. And he, ha- he obviously has been researching this stuff for a long time. And he had no idea that he'd had an experience. And then he said that he had somebody that came in and was talking to him and basically said that she had seen him on the ship. And then that's when he started connecting stuff and realizing that he actually did have an experience. We will be right back after this brief commercial break. So stay tuned. And we are back. So let's hop right in. Yeah, I had that. A couple of people tell me that. <laughs> like, you know, I, you're a contactee too. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I saw you on the ship. I'm like, oh, well, okay, sure. But, you know, I did have a missing time episode at one point. I have seen a bunch of UFOs. And what's really interesting, you're talking about astral projection. Right when I started researching the subject and diving deep into it and going, you know, full out as a researcher, I started having major out-of-body experiences and got really good at it. I mean, going to the other side and meeting deceased loved ones and visiting healing temples and the Akashic Plains and past life. I mean, the whole deal. Man, oh, man, I can't recommend it enough. It's so awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I've had sleep paralysis. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) It's part of the astral projection thing, and I think it's totally connected. I I don't think it's coincidence that here I am researching UFOs, and then boom, this is happening to me. You should have seen my dad. (laughs) I told him, guess what, Dad? UFOs are real. Now I'm going out of body. He's like, oh, God. I should have taken you to church. (laughs) No, no, I'm I'm good. (laughs) I'm not going crazy. I know this is real. You might not, but yeah, he never did come around my dad until the day he died. But uh, my certainly my everyone else in the family did, because I, I taught a couple of them how to do astral projection, and they or would experience UFOs at some point. Or I'd bring in evidence that absolutely, you know, said, okay, fine, it's real. Just stop talking about it. <laughs> See, that's one thing that I figured that part of the reason why it could potentially be connected is either one. 
uh, there's the possibility that, I mean, when we go, when we're, we're working towards it as a human race, that we use drones to actually go places rather than sending our physical selves. So one thing that I've kind of questioned is if they almost can astro travel themselves into another, like, biological body so they're not actually physically like here with us but rather they're piloting like some type of phys or biological drone rather and i mean that that could be part of the connection to it on i guess like why why they uh seem like they're so robotic and like ununiforms or like too uniform sometimes is because maybe it's more it's not actually them it's rather that they're like projecting themselves and actually having to use the focus uh not necessarily being animated in them their full selves but rather just trying to like use their ability to like pilot a physical vessel well supposedly i mean i talked to dolly saffron about this she's become my go-to gal because a lot of people would describe these craft as being alive and it was a living being itself she's like and she dolly said well yeah well actually they are they're embodied by a spirit who you know embodies it just very much like we embody our own flesh and blood so I think there's some truth to that. But as far as the ETs being robotic and unemotional, um, some are. And those would be, because I've wondered about this too, and Dolly Saffron cleared it up because I've heard it from so many contactees, that there are little AI greys who are very robotic and somewhat unemotional and very quick moving and they got a job to do and they get it done. Not super communicative. Uh, and then there's the sort of, four or five foot tall greys who are very emotional, who are very much like us. And most people have a main liaison for our contactees who is one of these guys. And they'll describe, you know, this was the most loving experience I've ever had. Uh, people will use that exact phrase, or it was a love like I've never felt before. Um, they really cared for me. They're very invested. So, I think some of these short little guys are AI, but not to make it too complicated, from what I understand, a gray can embody an AI as an avatar. That's not something they usually do because uh, they can function aut autonomously. And these are the little guys who come and scoop people up and the per people are like, who are you? Why are you doing this? And they're not getting any emotional reaction from them. And this is why I think some people conclude, well, the ETs have no emotions. <laughs> But it's not true. And I'll point to another case from my recent book of a pilot who had a really interesting experience. He's such a good witness. He's like the manager of the biggest bank in Argentina, a commercial pilot, and just a great witness, super educated, and heard about UFO sightings in his area. This is in Argentina, and wanted to see a UFO. <laughs> So he goes out of the city and uh, doesn't see anything. He's really disappointed. It's just San Juan or something like that. Uh, and it was that night when he gets home, he's woken up at like 3 a.m. to hearing his voice being called in his head, Hector, Hector, Hector. That's his name. And he wakes up and he runs to the window for some reason. He's like, I don't know why I did that, but I felt compelled. And looks out the window and there's a UFO starting by and as a pilot he, you know he could tell this wasn't a shooting star or anything it was basically a bright light but it was far too slow for a shooting star far too fast for anything conventional he's like wow it called me to the window and i saw it and it was two months later 
his room lights up, and in walks these two kind of humanoid, kind of grays. Uh, they were wearing blue jumpsuits with red collars and cuffs. And he completely freaked out. He had an absolute fear panic reaction. And they said, have no fear. We have come to heal you. And he said his fear instantly evaporated. He felt nothing but intense love. And he used that phrase I've heard before. It was a love I've never felt before. One guy described, he's like, you know, when I held my baby for the first time, when I married my wife, it was like that, but even more intense. And these two ETs, one of them comes up to Hector in bed, and he's crying out of just joy and just unbelievable emotion, and holds up this little triangular brown pill and said, you need to take this, and gives it to him. And he holds it in his hand, and he pops it in his mouth, and said, it, you know, he just ate it, he's... He trusted them. It was kind of bitter, uh, but he swallowed it, and that's the last thing he remembers. <laughs> he woke up the next morning, told his wife, who was very supportive, uh, and he said he felt nauseous for about a week. And I asked him, you know, were you sick? You know, did, did you have any stomach problems or anything? He's like, no, no, I'm actually really healthy. So I don't know what that was all about. But he it totally transformed his life. He now knows ETs are real. He feels this incredible love for them, and he shifted a lot of his energies back to learning. He's going back to school to get a degree in education, So, which speaks again to who they're contacting and why. They help those who are helping others. Uh, but it was just a really cool case of someone who has no history of contact. Most people I talk to have a long history of it. But some people just have a one-off. They reach out. I guess you would call that a CE5 kind of. He wanted contact and he got it. See, I'm wondering if, uh, of course, there's the people that I feel like they want to try to make sure stay healthy because they're going to further human development. But as far as like the family lines go, you know, people talk about the whole like hybridization process. And I'm kind of curious if it might be farther, more, farther more advanced than what people realize it is. Like people think that they're trying to hybridize like just now, but maybe it's their extended family bloodlines where they actually have the alien DNA. And that's why they end up tracking the bloodline is because they know that it's their, their family and they're actually trying to keep track of them. And maybe some of like the medical issues they experience are actually because of having that hybrid DNA. So maybe they have this intention that, you know, it's going to take thousands of years possibly, but they're trying to correct it so that they can have a stable hybrid hybridization process without having the possible side effects of having this human illness or, you know, these extraterrestrial illnesses. Because I mean, a lot of these, if, if there's a lot more people that are ex having these experiences than they even realize, I mean, a lot of these different diseases could actually be extraterrestrial diseases. And we're just so familiar with them being in people that we don't see them that way. We see them as a human disease, but it may not even be based in us. Yeah. I can't say I have any evidence of that in particular, but certainly I've looked into that whole aspect of genetics and because there are patterns it's really interesting because i'll ask contactees about you know anything unusual with your genes and they'll say well you know i do have royalty in my bloodline <laughs> that turns out quite a bit uh also just weird genetic stuff they're often got a very widespread ancestry with all different types of you know ancestries in their background uh they'll what else? One guy told me, Don Anderson, 
from Utah. I asked him about that, and he's like, well, you know, I have what they call God, something genetic dysonomy, which basically is all his genes come from one parent, his dad, who he never knew. Uh, his dad, I, f I forget what happened to his dad, but almost none comes from his mother at all. It's a very rare thing. You know, a lot of contactees have an incredible number of allergies. It's like they're just almost like they're allergic to a lot of the things on this planet. Um, some will have DNA that they can't trace to any human bloodline. Uh, just weird things like that. I mean, all kinds of really interesting genetic stuff goes on. Uh, gosh, there was one thing I wanted to say and I forgot. But yeah, there does seem to be something to exactly what you're talking about. I think it's going back much earlier in history than people realize. Oh, yeah, I remembered. Uh, a lot of the contactees I talked to, um, some are elderly, and they don't look it. <laughs> they look really good for their age, and they enjoy excellent health. Or even if they've got some real medical problems, the doctors are like, how the heck did you survive? You know, anyone else with your condition would be dead by now. One guy, he's, he's, he's like, I'm 80 years old. I went to the doctor. He couldn't believe it. He says, you've got the lungs, the heart, the circulatory system, bones of an 18-year-old. And I hear this over and over again. And here, if I may, is a case which I just love. I didn't investigate this one personally, but it really spoke to me. It was from Jim Law of Gainesville, Florida, who had the ETs come into his room. And he's like, gosh, darn it, again, you guys, why are you bothering me? I don't like this. <laughs> And, and they, they said, well, you need, we're working with you. He's like, well, why? Why are you taking me? And at first he says, well, if you're going to come and take me, why don't you fix this hernia? He was scheduled for a hernia operation that he was really dreading. They said, oh, okay. We, will re we know this condition that you will speak of, and we will repair it. Direct quote from McGray. And so they fixed him up with a little handheld thing, lickety split. And he's like, okay, why are you taking me? And they said, well... We are interested in your genetic potential to live a long time. And he had longevity in his family off the charts. His mom was quite elderly. He had two aunts who lived over 100. His grandfather was 106, still kicking. And that spoke to me because I thought, gosh, you know, this is why I hear so many contactees who enjoy absolute excellent health. I thought to myself, well, isn't it interesting <laughs> You know, we've, got, we've probably got genetic intervention going on, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands, if you look at the ancient writings. But how longevity continues to increase. And over the last couple hundred years, it's doubled. You know, people used to, were dying off at 40 and 50 back in the you know, Middle Ages and onward. And now we're, what the average life expectancy is, I think, 73 for males and 86 or something for females it's gone way way up so i wonder about that i mean even people as a whole it seems like people are staying younger looking longer like it's something that's like affecting the entire race of people like again they're trying to do this continuous growth of potentially making like you know the perfect human so to speak because i mean like you look at like previous generations when they were in their twenties versus like a generation now in their twenties. And it seems like the 
older generations are comparable to somebody now that would be maybe like in their thirties and the younger generation, it looks way younger. And it seems like it's again, going to continue on until they're able to isolate and create like the perfect gene. And I'm sure there's a mix of it happening naturally that, you know, only the strong survive. If you're kind of looking at it from that aspect that the people that have the weak genetics, like they're not going to stick around. So genetics are going to get better progressively through time. But if you also have some of this intervention happening where they're trying to isolate specific genes that they know are going to be extremely beneficial for the human race, such as like you were saying, people that are doing invent that are inventing things, uh, people that have telepathic abilities, people that can do all of this, you know, maybe we'll get to a point where all of this stops becoming like paranormal or supernatural abilities and rather becomes a natural ability. And maybe at one point it was a natural ability and we strayed away from it and they're actually trying to correct us back on the path that we're supposed to be. So rather than actually like, you know, putting these abilities into people, it's more so they're kind of just trying to sheep herd them back into where they should be because we got too far out from it, you know? <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Because I kind of hate that word, you know, paranormal or supernatural because it is natural. I'm absolutely convinced this is the way we're supposed to be. That really became clear to me when I started having my own out-of-body experiences. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I get it. You know, this is the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to remember our past lives. We're supposed to be awake at night and able to connect with source and our loved ones. And I mean, it just completely transforms your life. And you can progress a lot more quickly and you learn your life path. And I mean, there's just endless benefits to it. And I think it's no coincidence that you know, UFOs, we know they've been around forever, ETs, because we've got, you know, what, cave paintings mm-hmm. and pre-Columbian stone artifacts and Renaissance paintings and Middle-Age wood carvings and writings in the Bible and the Sanskrit and ancient Vinyanas. I mean, they've been around forever, right? But 1947, the atomic age, that's when this massive superwave sweeps across the world and by 1950s, people are being pulled on board. And we didn't really become aware of it until Betty and Barney Hill in 1961. Uh, but man, oh man, that's when people started being pulled on board and they're protecting our genetics. We're doing everything they can to wake people up psychically. They've got an absolute agenda, a publicity campaign <laughs> to announce their presence. These are, this is the ET agenda in a nutshell warnings about nuclear proliferation and greed and corruption and war and aggression and pollution and destruction of the environment. That is exactly why they're pulling so many people on board and have been since we finally got that ability to basically end everything. Existential crisis, destroy ourselves, each other, the entire planet. We're like, okay, gotta intervene with the children. They're not learning their lesson. And I think we are related to that. I think, and you know, this is just my assessment based on my own research and, and an objective look at the first 10 cases, because contactee after contactee is told, we are you, you are us, we are one, we share a common heritage, we have the same genes, you were once one of us. There's a much closer connection. And let's face it, they're all humanoid, <laughs> pretty much without exception, grays, you know, tall whites, little blue beings, the well, the human looking for that matter, praying mantis, they're all humanoid. And I was thinking about this too, because if you look at the variation we have on our planet, let's say you lined up a hundred people from every geographic 
location of every different ancestry you could think of, whether it's the little pygmy guys or the tall Watusis or Asians, you know, Russians, Spanish, French, everybody, Asian American or Polynesian, black, all of it, Latino, and stuck in a few grays here and there in a tall white, <laughs> um, they would blend right in. Mm -hmm. Seriously, there's so much variation that you would probably have a hard time pulling out the hybrids and <laughs> because that's they're they are us. We are them. We share the same heritage. This is what contactees are being told. And I think it's really important that people just step back, take an objective look at what's going on here, throw away your preconceptions and just go get a baseline where we can at least reach a consensus of what's going on here among researchers because it's going crazy right now. I mean, there are researchers out there saying, this is demonic. No, it's not. The whole Collins elite thing seems to be a pretty popular topic of conversation lately. <laughs> yeah. I've got every book I could find on demonic phenomena because I had to rule that out, you know, and multiple personalities and ghosts and channeling and walk-ins. You know, I've researched it because it is connected. But what really bothers me is some of these major researchers out there said, this isn't ET at all. This is an intelligence which dresses up as first a ghost and a Bigfoot and a near-death experience and a, a cryptid and, and an ET and a fairy and a gnome and blah, blah, blah. Mm, I don't think so. I think we have a lot going on on this planet that we don't fully understand. That Bigfoot is real, because I did go down that rabbit hole involuntarily. <laughs> At some point, you have to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's absolutely verifiably real, Bigfoot. There's no doubt in my mind. The cases reach back hundreds of years in every culture on our planet, different types of little people as well. You can call them fairies, gnomes, elves, whatever you want. I don't think those are ETs. I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about them not so much as like a mythical thing, but an actual physical thing. Like you have the Menahuni from Hawaii and they have like actual things that are built by these things. And then you even have like the Moon-Eyed people from like, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee type area. And there's walls that they claim were built by them too. So it's not even just beyond like the whole folklore. Ooh, it may have just been stories that people are telling. Like there's physical evidence of these different races, different beings all existing and being here. Yeah, I interviewed this one guy for my latest book, you know, Humanoids and High Strangers, because I wanted to really embrace that. I mean, it was time that people realized that there's a lot going on here. And he saw an elf. Galen Sharp is his name. He was like five years old in Colorado, and this elf walks through the, the vault. And he's, you know, he's got a, a vest on and a brown jacket and brown trousers and leather boots. And he's got a, you know, an old face. He's bald and a kind of a pug nose and an elf. I'm like, sure, you know, that this wasn't a grave with a screen memory. Like, it wasn't. I'm telling you, this guy was very friendly. He talked to me. He gave me his name. Came to visit me four or five, six times. Once with another little elf-like being. I'll tell him all these philosophical concepts that were way over his head for, you know, a five or six-year-old. And finally, he had to move. And he's like, well, I'm going to ask my elf friend to come with me. <laughs> And next time the elf showed up, he says, you know, I'm moving. Can you come? And the guy got a real sad look. He says, no, we cannot leave this location. We cannot go with you. 
And of course, Galen did move, and that was the last he saw of this little elf guy. But you know, I, I wrote about this. I put out a YouTube episode on it, and added a few other cases that I knew of. And boy, the response was crazy. People were losing their minds. Like, oh my God, I had this experience. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people were see are seeing these little people. I guess you'd call them. One case that really stuck in my mind because it was just so vivid. The guy said that he woke up and there was this little elf-like being, you know, as they're, they're dressed up in these normal clothes-ish, but more Robin Hood-like. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was holding one of his Matchbox cars and looking at it, trying to figure out, uh, like, just with curiosity. And he, he's looking at this guy, and the elf turns and looks at him and sees he's awake, panics, or presumably elf, whatever it is, runs through the wall with the Matchbox car in his hand, and this Matchbox car hits the wall bounces off of it and spins on the ground uh, so couldn't go through the, he couldn't take the matchbox car with him I don't know it was just a vivid such a specific detail that lend credence to the guy's story to me I mean that just shows that these things may potentially be like almost like vibrating or existing like on a different frequency that they don't actually interact with like what we would perceive as like our laws of physics they just they exist in a whole other place and they can be seen where we are <laughs> Yeah, like Bigfoot, because you hear cases of Bigfoot disappearing. Or I've got a case, actually it's in this latest book, of a guy in England who had a Bigfoot-like creature appear in his bedroom. And we talked at length about it. He said, could this be demonic? Because he said he had teeth and it was a little bit scary looking. And, but it was hairy, you know, hairy from head to toe. But could this be an alien? And we just talked it out and no, honestly, I'm not sure. Neither is he. <laughs> but this was in England. They don't really have a whole lot of Bigfoot there. Uh, but man, oh man, that was something. And he said it was absolutely real. It opened the door, it exerted a shadow on the wall. It stared at him for a good three minutes before going back out. He was five years, six years old. Uh, but he's, I, I was awake. I was 100% awake. I didn't fall asleep. I didn't wake up. This really happened. He ended up having some really interesting experiences with ghosts and an apparent angel, too, as well as some UFO sightings. But, I mean, it just goes to show there's a lot going on here. And I think it's a mistake to put it all under one umbrella and say, this is all one thing. Because where, where's your evidence for that? How can you say that? If there is an intelligence that's putting on different, quote, masks and manifesting this, what's the mechanism? Explain to me how that works. Why does? Because it kind of puts us at the center of all of this. It's a very anthropocentric theory, which, as we know historically, does usually not pan out. Yeah. <laughs> so, right? I mean, we're not the center of the universe. We know that. So I think it's probably a mistake. I think there's a lot of stuff going on under, you know, on this planet that doesn't belong under the UFO umbrella. So I think we do have supernatural creatures, supernatural, but probably can travel interdimensionally. People say, well, ETs are interdimensional. I'm like, well, yeah, they are, but so are you. We are all interdimensional. What entity isn't interdimensional? Look at the near-death experiences. Pets survive. <laughs> you know, animals are on the other side. Trees, grass, all of it. 
And if you have out-of-body experiences, you can go there and experience it, and you will know. So, yeah, I don't think calling somebody interdimensional is particularly useful in terms of identifying their origins. I'm a big believer that this is extraterrestrial, uh, just from the totality of the evidence. I think once these crash retrieval reports fully come out, and I expect some, one day they will, one way or another, uh, when we start seeing those bodies and those craft, which are, I think, being reverse engineered, I mean, that speaks to what these are. There's a technology there. This is not something that's just manifesting in some weird spiritual way. This is a technology that is being built through scientific you know, methods. My assessment, you know, based on my research in the first 10 cases that I've interviewed, and of course, the vast amount of literature out there. And my point is, there's some major researchers that have these weird theories, but I go to the contactees and I ask them that. And every now and then I get a contactee who says it's demonic, and every now and then I'll get a contactee who says, oh no, it's a djinn, it's a, you know, it's an intelligence, I'm not so sure it's ET, but the vast majority of them, and they've had the experience, say it's ET. And I have to you know, respect that. I mean, even just uh, if you're looking at it from the interdimensional perspective, one way that I've kind of described it is like, imagine just like a bunch of boxes stacked on top of each other going in a bunch of different directions. I mean, just because something is inter inter interdimensional doesn't mean that two different things that are interdimensional are coming from the same place at all. So, I mean, even if you're looking at it from everything is interdimensional perspective, I mean, there could be, you know, you go lower and there might be like a paranormal dimension. You go up, there might be something that somebody described as like a like an alien dimension. You go to the right, there might be some type of like cryptid creature dimension. So it's like they're all interdimensional, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're coming from the same place. And I mean, even within that too, though, I mean, with a lot of the extraterrestrial stuff, I definitely think that there are things that are 100% extraterrestrial. But on the other side of it, I feel like there's also things that are very similar to extraterrestrials that might be interdimensional, that people are kind of just putting them in the same box, even though they might be two different things that are somewhat similar to each other. I mean, nature spirits, there's, we're, we're kindergartners and trying to figure out what's going on around us. <laughs> we're really just beginning to understand. And time travelers, like, they're us from the future. I'm like, okay, sit back. Hold on a second. <laughs> Let, let's discuss <laughs> why do you think that? And, and you know, if you convass the literature, you could because I, I did this, I, put, I found about five or ten cases that might speak towards that. We will be right back after this brief commercial break, so stay tuned. And we are back, so let's hop right in. Because there are time travel aspects to UFO encounters where people have been pulled into the past and viewed things or seen future events even. But I have zero good, credible, solid reporting on greys or anybody being us from the future. And I think some of the cases out there that are putting this forth are wrong disinformation just not true uh, so i wonder about that but boy the things et's can do with time is crazy oh my gosh they can pull you out because you know, i was wondering about this this one guy I interviewed uh he's a chiropractor in the gosh not, not the adirondacks but uh you know the that area of ohio there's a name for it i forget it but he had this experience where his whole family was seeing a UFO. <laughs> and you know, this is a farm family. There's quite a few of them. 
and he runs inside to get his rifle because it has a scope, and he wants to get a nice close look at this UFO, which is just a few hundred yards away, right over this tree. <laughs> and he runs back out with the rifle, and he sees it, and the whole family's pointing, going, oh, my God, look, look. And he lifts the, the rifle up to look at it through the scope and can't find it. It's like, shoot, it was right there. Puts it down, and the UFO's not there, and he looks over, and he sees his family is frozen now. Birds are frozen in the sky. The leaves, everything is frozen. Not moving, but he can move. He's absolutely moving around and looks to his right, and there's this craft. It's landed at the end of his driveway. There's three grays. They're coming out, and they're floating towards him. And he blacks out. Boom. But I've got case after case of that where time is frozen. So what is going on here? Now, someone could be on a busy street. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. All the cars just disappear. They're gone. He's, they're on an empty street now. This makes zero sense. But I think what's, being, what's happening is they're being pulled into a slightly higher dimension, fourth dimension. And time hasn't stopped. Because you can't stop time in the entire universe. I mean, there's no way. Which was really hard for me to wrap my head around what's going on here. But I think it's us being pulled out of the Earth time stream. And... ETs doing what they need to do, because then they'll put you back. And while some people do have missing time, I've got case after case of this where people have a two-hour, three-hour long experience or longer. Dolly Saffron talked about this. And they'll put you right back minutes later. So these are just some of the things they can do with time. I've had some one lady in, the, in this latest book, she kept getting to work a half an hour early. She's like, I don't know how this is happening. <laughs> I'm like, they're taking you. That's what's happening. <laughs> And they're putting you back early. Uh, so, I don't know. It's weird. They can do weird stuff. I mean, there's even people that describe the 20 and back experiences, too. I've talked to a handful of experiencers of that on the show, where it's like they'll live out like a full 20 years, and then they'll mentally still be the same, but then they'll put them back in their like seven-year-old body, and then the kids left wondering, like, why am I attracted to like older women when I... Like, it doesn't... Like, I've had a few cases of that where like uh, there was one guy who was taken when he was seven, lived to be 27 doing off, off world missions. And then he came back, got put into the body of a seven-year-old and he was basically like half a seven-year-old, half himself that he was before. Cause they tried to kind of repress some of the memories and stuff. But pretty much what he said that he started breaking down the paradigm and figuring everything out was the fact that he was a seven-year-old and he was attracted to like 30 year old women. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. I don't have any cases of the 20 and back. I'm skeptical of a, Quite a few of them because they're like, well, I was a super soldier on Mars. I'm like, well, Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. You can't live there for any length of time. Uh, even the ETs themselves have problems with the gamma radiation. And I don't know. I'm, skepti I'm skeptical of the super soldier aspect of that. And I don't have any cases. It's hard for me to speak to it. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot going on for sure. Oh, yeah. So I guess uh, kind of starting to wrap up a little bit. Um, before we do the words of wisdom, uh, you made a reference to some of your newer books, and I wanted to uh, give some of the, give an opportunity for you to uh, tell the listeners about your newest books that you recently released and your one that you are currently working on and going to be releasing um, so that people have got something to look forward to. And of course, I will include links and everything so everybody can pick up your book uh, down in the show description. But yeah, give them, give them kind of a rundown of some of the stuff you've been working on recently. Yeah, Awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Symmetry was a recent book. This is my most recent book right here, Humanoids and 
High strangeness. Super proud of that one. 20 cases where people have seen humanoids from all over the world. France, England, Peru, Argentina, Canada. Big international flavor to that one. Um, just put out, not from here, volume four, right after that one, all about the weirder and unusual types of UFO cases, like you know, people levitating after an encounter or all kinds of stuff. And working on Not From Here Volume 5, that's pretty much done. It's just going through its final proofing and all the stuff that, gosh, needs to go through before <laughs> it's finally released. And probably going to put out Symmetry too, because we really just touched the surface of Dolly's experiences. I'm going to put out another book on out-of-body experiences, one on the paranormal as well. I'm busy. I've got a, still have like 50 books I want to write before I leave this planet. <laughs> Probably won't be able to get that many out, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So, yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show because you know, this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's super fascinating, but I think these subjects are important. I think people need to know that we are not alone on this planet, that we have people out there watching over us, that our government's lying about all of this. Do not trust them. Look to the contactees if you want the truth about UFOs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just talking about some of this stuff, too, um, it seems like it helps a lot of people with maybe they didn't want to talk about their experiences or somebody that ends up having the experience. It kind of gives them an idea of what to work with. So you, you just have to you have to talk about this stuff openly because I feel like it helps others to come to realizations with their own experiences. Exactly. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, words of wisdom, of course. If there was any words of wisdom that you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what might it be? <laughs> words of wisdom. Okay. I was thinking about this. Um, floss. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tailgate. Uh, leave fear behind. It's an illusion. And uh, meditate. Meditate as much as you can because that will wake up your psychic abilities. That would be my words of wisdom. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> words of wisdom. Take care of yourself. It's all about self-healing and making yourself a better person each day and progressing the natural, we'll, we'll say natural abilities that you may possibly possess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, for anybody that might want to come and find you on the internet, they might want to share some of their experiences with you. Uh, they might want to follow your work, any of that. Where can everybody come and find you on the internet? All over the place, really. I'm, my books are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and at bookstores. I have a website, just punching my name. It should take you there. I'm on Facebook, of course, and Twitter slash X, <laughs> uh, Instagram, and I have a YouTube channel where I put out my research for those who you know, don't have the time to read or the money to buy books. But some of my books are on Audible, too, which is getting more and more popular. So I'm trying to get more of my books on Audible. Some of the publishers aren't cooperating, but what are you going to do? <laughs> but yeah, it's, I'm pretty easy to find, and I always love hearing from people whether they you know, got a question or a comment or a story to share. Uh, I think it's awesome to connect with the people all over the world who are having these experiences or just interested in it. Absolutely. And of course, I will include all of your links down in the show description so everybody can find it all quick and easy. And I really appreciate you making the time to come on today. And this has been a wonderful conversation. And I'm looking forward to having you on, hopefully, again, sooner rather than later. I don't want to go another two years before having you on because you're an absolutely fascinating person to talk to. Appreciate that. Thanks very much. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Greatly appreciate you guys when you do that. And if you guys leave a five-star review, then I will read it on the show, of course, and give you guys a big shout out. 
And uh, anybody that you guys think might enjoy this episode, I don't care if they're a friend, I don't care if they're an enemy, co-workers, cousins, family, all of that. Share the show with them. Keep expanding the show because the only way it's ever going to happen is with your guys' help, which I greatly appreciate. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it that you want to be a guest on the show, you want to share some fan art, uh, you possibly just want to have a conversation in general, uh, you want me to be a guest on your show, you want to sponsor the show, any of that awesome stuff, you guys can get a hold of me through social media. Instagram and Facebook are the ones I am the most active on. Or you guys can email me at inquiriesofallrealitypodcast.look.com. Or if you guys are looking for podcast production services, you guys can email me at open underscore minds underscore media at outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree fill the submission form there are multiple submission forms depending on what you're trying to contact me for so make sure you guys click on the right one and uh, i do respond to every single message that i get from you guys so make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders and make sure that nothing got missed in the process and everything that i mentioned is all available in the link tree which is available down in the show description and with that hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and i'll catch you on the next one have a good night everybody Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.